Of course, brought to you by absolutely nobody. Still waiting on that sponsor, guys. Come on, pick it up. Got an obligation to fulfill. Either way, episode 7. Today is May 4th, 2020. May the 4th be with you. Big Star Wars guy here. Not going to put in any songs about Star Wars. Just not going to. I mean, sorry. I thought about it and I was just like, you know, whatever. Don't worry about it. Pretty excited for today's show, of course. Last night was episodes five and six of The Last Dance. Kind of jumped around a lot, covered a lot of different things, and got a few talking points I'm going to bring up. Before we get into that, I've got two other topics I'd like to talk about beforehand. First of all, got a Twitter notification this morning about the passing of legendary NFL coach Don Shula, the age of 90. Nothing COVID-related, peacefully in his sleep. I mean, the guy was 90 years old. And if there's any way I want to go, it would be exactly like that. I mean, my luck isn't going to, you know, pay off for me like that. I'm George Costanza. The worst humanly thing possible is going to happen to me. But he passed away this morning at the age of 90. And the guy was incredible incredible football coach I mean he coached Dan Marino at one time Johnny Unitas with the Baltimore Colts he was a long tenured NFL coach with the Miami Dolphins of course had a perfect season in 1972-73 that season he coached all kinds of Hall of Fame talent and he really respected at his job and just humanitarian too I mean he didn't do Anything wrong, he's always doing the right thing in spotlight, giving his time, his charity, things like that. And keep him in your thoughts and prayers. Keep his family in your, in your thoughts and prayers. And it's really sad to lose somebody that special and impacts the world around them in that kind of way, as well as being an inspiration to you know coaches who coach today. I mean, Bill Belichick's arguably the best coach not even arguably, he is the best coach in the NFL right now. And, I mean, as brilliant as Bill is with all the Super Bowl championships and the schematics, how he draws up offenses, defenses, runs an organization from top to bottom. I mean, Don Shula has done it for 30, 35 years at the highest level possible. And 373 wins, so big shoots to fill. Bill's not even there yet, so... Like I said, keep him and his family in your thoughts and prayers. Next, my brilliant big brain. I'm not trying to sound like Portnoy. It's a joke, but I finally connected the dots on a perfect bit for me to do. I love calzones. I love pizza. Honestly, I love all food. I wish I would have, you know, been a little older before Dave Portnoy started his whole pizza review thing, his bits, right? It's so brilliant. And he's 
you can like him, you can hate him. I mean, he's such a polarizing guy because the people who like him love him. They think he's hilarious. They think he's brilliant, which, I mean, I think he's an idiot sometimes, but he's not trying to be smart. He's trying to be funny, and he's great at that. That's the whole shtick. That's what he's trying to do. Like the Davy Day Trader Global thing. He Like, I'm a finance major. A couple of my friends are finance majors, and we talk about him all the time because it's like he's so stupid, but it's so funny, like you can't not watch. And it's the same thing with the unboxing, which is hysterical, by the way. But, anywho, I wish I could have started the pizza bit thing. But I'm, like, thinking about it. I, I can't. Like, I mean, I would do it for funsies, but it's like, yeah. Whatever. You, you want to come up with something on your own while kind of stealing it from something else, you know. Take something that works and put a twist on it. Why would you do something from scratch and not have it work at all? Then you're back to square one anyways. So you, you take a piece here, take a piece there, and make it your own and make it work, right? A couple weeks ago, the Bizarro Jake, I think, is my magnum opus. That, like, is my entire body of work. Right there. That is the best thing I can ever do. I compared myself to the greatest sitcom character of all time, George Costanza. And I think I made some valid points. The soundbite I threw in that episode is with George Steinbrenner and George Costanza looking. He wants his calzone. There's an episode of Seinfeld where George brings in these eggplant calzones from some place in the city to Yankee Stadium for lunch. And all the execs and George and uh, GMs, George Steinbrenner, are eating lunch. And the calzones smell is filling up the room. And he's like, what you got there, Costanza? And he's like, an eggplant calzone, sir. And he's like, mind if I get a bite? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gives him a bite of the calzone. I've never had an eggplant anything, and I don't think I ever will. But Steinbrenner loved it. Gets everyone out of the room. He's like, George, get three get three of those calzones. That's exactly what it does. And I'm like, thinking about it. I got a calzone from a pizza place down the street from me. I'm like, that is, is brilliant. It's not pizza. It's a calzone. Like, it's not the same. You can fuck up pizza. You can fuck up a calzone. But, so, they're different to me. So, that's what I want. I want Calzone recommendations, and this is going to be another bit that I stand by until the day I die. I am a Calzone guy. If you know of a good Calzone place, I'm, I'm not, not pizza, Calzone. Not pizza, Calzone. Very specific here. I want, I want to know about it. I want to try it. I want to talk about it. Cal Zone. All right, let's get it, shall we? Time for MJ. Time for The Last Dance. This episode, or this sequence of episodes, had to have been, like, the biggest boner for anyone in sports business. Like, Darren Ravel might as well have popped an entire tablet of Viagra, like, before watching this tonight and what he got watching would have made 
Viagra go out of business, whoever makes that go out of business. Like, seriously, he had he had to have been so in heaven watching Michael Jordan's agent talk about how going with Adidas would have been the biggest Jimbo ever. And Michael decides to go with Nike, and he is a billion-dollar brand. Michael Jordan's the first billionaire athlete ever, and he made next to... I don't want to say peanuts. It's like $100 million he made in his playing career. But the guy is worth well over a billion dollars. And a tithe of that comes from playing. It's the same thing with LeBron James today. I think I saw some stat a couple of days ago that said like LeBron James' lifetime, his lifetime earnings were around $475 million, $500 million. I'm not going to look it up. But through endorsements and all those contracts off the court, you know, doing Sprite commercials, McDonald's commercials, things like that, it's almost $2 billion. It's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. And the sports world goes bonkers when, you know, players of his caliber in whatever sport they do make. Hundred million dollar salaries plus. Mike Trout was that in one contract. It's thirteen years, and it it's crazy how you can triple that, quadruple that through just doing things on the side. Those huge companies, those huge brands, stick so much money into an athlete like. Michael Jordan, like LeBron James, like Kobe Bryant, to do all those things and be an ambassador to their brand, it pays dividends for them. It's like the best investment they could make from an advertising sense. And to see Jordan doing that in the late 80s and the early 90s, it's mind-boggling, yet it's not surprising at the same time. I knew Michael Jordan was big time and huge, like a cultural icon. Like I've seen footage of the 1992 Dream Team, that whole sequence, the whole Olympics in Barcelona that summer. I've seen a documentary where it kind of covers them getting there through the practices, through, you know, the games in competition whatever else they did, you know, kind of the touring, things like that. I've seen all that before, and I knew he was a big deal. Like, Jordan would get mauled wherever he would go. Like, I mean, just absolutely, crowds would go wild. I knew that, but it was a real reminder to see how big he was, not even just overseas. Because, I mean, think about it. Europe and basketball... It's almost like a new relationship. The scale that the NBA was at the time compared to like how it was in Europe, totally different things. If you've ever watched NBA, or the um, European basketball league, it stinks. It's horrible. And then you get all these superstars coming over, Mike being, you know, the shining light on the hill, you know, the pillar at the top. They go bananas. It's insane. I I couldn't imagine 
you know, just leaving my apartment building and having people screaming my name. Maybe one day in my dreams, but not today. Whoever made that deal happen got a huge cut. That's where I'm going to leave that. Got a little sidetracked there, but seriously, it's crazy to think how big these people are and how much money they bring in. The very first year the Air Jordans were released, the Air Jordan wants a fly-ass shoe, by the way. Those things are crazy. And the whole thing with him lacing them back up for the last time at you know Madison Square Garden, the Mecca, that was a crazy story. I didn't know that either. $126 million on a brand new shoe, like a pilot shoe. That's how big Michael Jordan was. $126 million. Imagine putting that into today's context. You'd have to be a fool to you know, be a CEO or an executive of one of these Big companies, Nike, Adidas, Reebok, not so much anymore, but Under Armour. Companies like that that get these big sponsorships with, you know, NBA, MLB, NFL, NHL teams. Jordan's a huge ambassador of that, and it's driving so much of your advertising dollars and your income from those dollars. But it just shows you how much of a cultural impact Michael had. And these two episodes did a really good job of showing both the positives and the negatives of that too. So I thought that was really, really good insight that the writers of this series shine some light upon. (laughs) I also found that uh, the commercial with Magic and Larry and all the old guys played in the, the early... 80s, late 70s, early 80s. Converse? Converse shoes suck. Okay? I I don't want... Like, I can't listen to any arguments and take them with any bit of validity. Those shoes stink. I don't care if Dr. J had his big afro dunking on fools with his knee-top or knee-high Converse. High top converse. No, they're just ugly shoes. And I mean, it's like a nostalgia thing for those guys, I guess. But I can't tell you the last time I've seen a pair of converse. And like, you shouldn't. Maybe that's just a bad take on my part. But I think they're hideous shoes. And you wouldn't catch me dead wearing those things. I don't know. That's just me. If I have made anyone you know shake their head and turn off the show sorry i just think they're hideous shoes whatever and kind of building off of the cultural appeal not so much the money side of it but you know him drawing a crowd and it's not just like little kids and their families and diehard sports fans you see it nowadays more than ever but i feel like social media and the closeness of the communication we have makes this a little bit of a saturated thing now. But the celebrities that went to partake in the NBA now, that was pretty crazy. I mean, it was 25, 30 years ago. 
and almost 30 years ago that this all started. Like, Mike made the NBA huge. And I'm not saying guys after him like Kobe Bryant and LeBron James and Kevin Durant and Steph Curry. I mean, huge in Asian market, but it's not. He, Mike pioneered it all. He started it real time, big time. And it was really cool to see all these pop culture figures and famous celebrities get involved and you know going courtside of course they can afford it but going courtside and watching watching excuse me these shows that Michael Jordan would put on at will Nas Justin Timberlake Spike Lee all these guys and there's a slew of others Jerry Seinfeld the other king of the 1990s Jerry fucking Seinfeld my man's Got featured in this documentary. How about that documentary? Jerry. Jerry Seinfeld. He self-proclaimed king of the 90s. He's like Mike. It's just... It's just... I don't know. It's so hard to describe. The impact that... And the ability that Jordan had to like capture... These people attend like everyone's attention where they wasn't there before. It's there now, but I feel like it's—I don't know. I feel like maybe today we're a little more flashy. Like we feel the need to flaunt. Like we have money, not we as in like everyone, but famous people. Oh, they have the money, so show it off. Show it off, flaunt it, right? Like why wouldn't you if you had it? And I feel like Michael, his athletic ability, his performances were like the first. It started the trend, and it's just kind of snowballed ever since. Maybe that's a reach. I don't know, but it was really cool to see all those, you know, fat cats rolling up courtside at the game, like Dr. Dre. I think he was there one game, like an LA game. I went through it. Nas, Justin Timberlake, Spike Lee, who helped produce this ep- the, some of these episodes, by the way. Or no, no, not the episodes now. The commercials that Mike was in, Spike Lee produced those. And take that another step further. Look at all the guys that are in this documentary, in the media, um, in the public light. I mean... President Obama. They did fix that, by the way. It said Chicago resident, which I wasn't one of those people who were like, that's wrong. No. As it pertained to this documentary, Barack Obama was soon to be president-elect Barack Obama. At the time, was a Chicago resident, so fair game. But Mike Wilbon, Washington Post writer at the time, anchor of Pardon the interruption with Tony Kerheiser, Kerheiser, however you say his name. Huge people. It's just, I don't know. It just seemed like Michael caught everyone's eyes. And the people who are already in the spotlight weren't immune to that. They were captured by that flair, that razzle-dazzle. 
everyone was captivated by that, and that was really interesting to see. Another really cool point to take away from this was like another iconic Jordan moment, right? Last week or the week before, we saw the shot. The most prolific, the most notable basketball shot ever taken. He hits the shot, spread legs, the fist bumps after. Everyone knows that. If you don't, you're you're jackass. But everyone has seen that picture before. This is the most famous, probably sports photo ever taken. Honestly, in my opinion. And I think my opinion's right. But it was really, really cool to see this whole story behind the shrug, right? And Clyde Drexler wasn't a slouch. Guy's a dream team member, a Hall of Famer. And Mike did not like being compared to Clyde Drexler. Like Clyde Drexler's a top 20 player, top 25 player probably ever. I mean, it might be a stretch just with how deep some teams are today. But, you know, it's not like, you know, he's a top 100 player. The guy's name is up there. And he played a similar type game to Mike, except the savagery and the competitive willpower and that alpha mentality wasn't quite there. But... Like, I mean, he shouldn't have been insulted at the fact that Clyde Drexler, at the time, I mean, maybe top five shooting guard in the NBA. Trying to think of other guys off the top of my head. I can't. I mean, Chris Mullen. Some don't even come to mind. Clyde Drexler would probably be my number two. He's a teammate with Hakeem Olajuwon at... Um, University of Houston, early 80s or mid 80s, lost a title game to Jimmy Valvano, South or North Carolina State. Good college player, great pro. He's a Hall of Famer, Dream Team member, for both. Hall of Fame for you know both. That Dream Team was elected, nominated, and elected to the Hall of Fame. Trexler did it on his own accord as well. And Jordan went killer. Just a competitive psychopath. And you saw that extend to everything he did. Throwing quarters at the wall for money. Playing blackjack or poker. Playing cards. This guy would probably gamble on a pissing contest. Oh, I can pee farther than you. He'd probably fucking do it because that's how his brain worked. And at Mike's level, nobody had it. Charles Barkley attested to that too. The next finals, because we we witnessed the first three-peat between the two episodes. Charles Barkley said there's no shame in losing to Michael Jordan because... I see it like a you know a gunfight, and we lost at the faster gun. I mean, and Charles wasn't a slouch either. Chuck was a damn good basketball player, another you know top twenty five player, all time. 
no finals accolades, but he got the lose to the go. And he didn't play like a scrub either. I mean, I got another point to build off of that. But Michael had competitiveness that no one else had. And I'll get to the, get into that a little more later as well. But Twitter, after this, I saw some things or some things resurfaced about how Draymond Green said he was better than Charles Barkley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was some beef a couple of weeks ago, a couple months ago. But Charles is pretty, Chuck's pretty animated. And he's pretty vocal about his opinions. And, you know, today's NBA and you know, little peewee 12-year-old fans who've never watched ESPN Classic or the History Channel, they have no idea what, you know, happened before they were born. Most people don't. Kind of an unfair jab. But Draymond Green said he's better than Charles Barkley. And I think I went in on Draymond a little bit the last episode, like, you know, last Monday, last Tuesday's episode. Draymond Green would get destroyed by Charles Barkley on the court in their primes, yet alone today. I mean, Chuck's kind of chunky, but I mean, if. I bet you Charles could win a three-point shooting contest, honestly. I think Draymond Green's, you know, a pretty good bum in today's standards. Average at everything, excels at nothing, and he he lives in the shadows of his three Hall of Fame teammates. Two of them, or one of them former, two current Hall of Fame teammates. He wants to be that enforcer, and he's just not. Like... He's all talk. Kicks you in the nuts. He lost his team of finals because, you know, he couldn't stay eligible to play. Like, what? And he's just, I don't know. He's just not a, he's just not a great basketball player. Yeah, he plays defense, but as this documentary shows, the guys who played defense were also good on offense, and he's not. Draymond's a bum on offense. A bum. A six foot nine power forward should be able to make layups and you know paint jump shots contested once in a while. He can't. When you average eight points a game, you get a triple double without the damn points. Are you kidding me? How the fuck can't you score eight points on that team? I could score eight points on that team. I'm six feet tall, almost. And I am better at basketball now than when I played basketball competitively competitively in high school. And I could find a way to put up at least eight points on the Golden State Warriors. They would help me do it. They help everyone do it, except Draymond can't do it. Like, I could shoot at a better better than a 24% three-point field goal clip than like he did. 24, 27, whatever the stupid number was at one point last season. I could do that. On that team, anyone should do that. And he can't. And he's talk, 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 talk. I'm going to beat his ass on the court. No, you're a bum, Draymond. Shut up. Quit riding your team's coattails. Get traded and we'll see how successful you are. Idiot. Another thing that irritates me too is Isaiah Thomas. Once again... Michael himself said Isaiah Thomas is probably behind Magic the next best point guard of all time. 
up to when he played. Steph Curry's definitely surpassed that. There are a few other guys too that would probably I would put in front of Isaiah Thomas just watching the NBA now. But no slouch, two-time NBA champion. I think it said like 11-time All-Star or something like that. It's a stud. Played a great team too. But I don't like the attention grab. Like, should he have been on the dream team? Maybe. With the guys that were on it? No. Every one of those guys I would pick over Isaiah Thomas. Well, with the exception of Christian Leitner, I'd pick Isaiah Thomas. And he makes it feel like the league and those guys on the team didn't want him included. Well... There's a reason why you weren't included. Like, Magic and Larry became best friends throughout their tenure in the league. Honestly, when they both got drafted, and the few years after, you know, their first seasons, they played in all those titles against each other, that is probably one of the most fierce rivalries in all of sports. Magic and Larry, those guys hated each other because, not because they hated each other, but because there was this context, this media narrative that made it seem like white versus black in a changing America at the time. You had Magic Johnson, you know, black kid goes to Michigan State. And then you've got the hick from French Lick. Larry Bird goes to Indiana State. He's probably never been to a town of more than a thousand in his entire life. And it's like, that was the stage that was set. That was the narrative before they even got to know each other. And they became the best of friends throughout their time in the NBA. And they don't like you. Michael doesn't like you. He respects you. But he doesn't like you because you're an asshole. And that's fair. That's fair criticism. There's, And it's something that's lost nowadays because... There's dislike without the respect, and the respect respect's earned. It's not granted, it's earned. And if you have the respect, yet the dislike, you just have to say, okay. And it's not like it's just three guys that didn't like you. It was a lot of people that didn't like you. And if that's the case, then that's on you, man. Be a more likable person. Play the way it's supposed to be. Play the game the way it's supposed to be. Excuse me. But, I don't know. I, I see where his grievances come in. But I just don't like how he's trying to take the spotlight away from where it's supposed to be. And put it on him. And make it seem like, you know, he lost out. Yeah, he lost out. He lost out all right, but it's not because of anyone else. It's because of him. Kobe. Damn, that was really cool to see Kobe in the beginning. Right away, too. Yeah, that Laker boy, he's going to try to take everyone one-on-one. That mentality. That Mamba mentality. That was... It was cool. I mean, I pro- that was probably one of the last things Kobe did before he passed away. And 
it it's really special to see like the tutelage and the you know the mentorship that actually transpired between the two and I mean being somebody that grew up with Kobe but missing Michael I think I missed a lot of that and I think a lot of people my age miss that too because it kind of just seemed like Kobe was chasing Michael emulate Michael be just like him and do everything like him and the success will come and the success came and it just seemed like he was a copycat and it, it just wasn't it like Kobe Bryant was his own man too all the success he had away from the court as well as on the court. You know, the guy spoke three languages, five languages, something like that. The new business, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The new interest in business and applying his talents and his competitiveness there. And, of course, the, the, the little basketball short he did, Dear Basketball, he won an Oscar for that. He was so talented away from the court as well as on the court. And that's something that it seems like Mike didn't even have. Mike's competitiveness can get him to do all kinds of special things except run a basketball team or own, you know, be a successful owner. That's not entirely his fault, but, I mean, the Hornets kind of stink. But that little mentorship... I didn't know that was there. Like, Mike was his big brother. I didn't know that. That was really cool to see. Especially because their resumes at the end of their careers were so similar. I mean, was Kobe exactly unique in his play? No, but I mean, gotta learn it from somewhere. You gotta get that edge somewhere, and that's he got it from Michael Jordan. That was really cool to see. Out of all the things that this episode talked about and showed us and we got to experience, the most important thing was the controversy that came up with Michael in in between that third finals push. And it's not because it's like, oh, oh it's funny because yeah, he got caught gambling and, you know, he was hanging out with some money launderer who got thrown in prison. That's not why. It's an expectation from us as, you know, people who live an average everyday life aren't professional athletes or actors or politicians or anyone else that lives a public life, they're expected to be perfect. And today especially, like, it was bad then, getting bad. It's horrible now with social media. And this general movement for us to get offended at everything and be upset by especially things that don't concern us and have no impact on our well-being, that makes us mad. I'm not saying it's right, but it's true. We get offended by everything as a culture today. Like, it doesn't matter where the principles lie or what happened or why they did it. If you're associated with something that 
the majority of people, and when I say majority, I mean one person past 50%, you're crucified. You're done. It doesn't have to be true. It's alleged. Things like this happen today, and you're done. And those people are expected to be perfect, and at the end of the day, we're just not. You could name any person ever. Any person that has lived a life in the public eye has had an instance of something negative come up and we overreact to, sometimes overreact to, sometimes we react the right way if it's something really bad, but we give a reaction that, you know, tarnishes their legacy, their reputation a little bit. And I'm not trying to say that it's always unwarranted. Sometimes that response is appropriate. But it seems like as casual bystanders or casual viewers, we are so fascinated with this rise and fall narrative. Like we need to have someone work their way to the top, have something horrible happen to them, whether it's self-inflicted or chances of life or circumstance, and then they need to overcome that. And we love that story. We love that sequence of events. I don't remember who said it on the documentary. I wish I wrote it down, but someone alluded to that. It was some journalist. I don't remember his name. I'm not going to cast allusion to who it was. But Tiger Woods is a perfect example of that. This young stud golfer comes out and he wins major after major, tournament after tournament. He's the best golf player of all time. And then he can't keep it in his pants. And he is thrown out of the public eye and he's cast aside for years. And then he's trying to make a comeback and get over the embarrassment and dealing through injuries and surgeries and all that. And he works and he works and he works and he works. And then he wins the Masters last year. We love that. We crave that. We need that story in our lives. But it goes to show you that no matter what the human body or the human mind or the human spirit is able to produce, achieve, conquer... We all have flaws. Everyone. Kobe Bryant became this excellent basketball player through hard work, a family man, a brilliant mind, a business savvy person, a creative person. And a lot of people forget a charge that would have stained him forever had it happened any later than it did. He was accused of sexual assault in the early 2000s. If that happened 10 years later, he would have been taboo. All of this Kobe talk wouldn't have happened. I'm not saying that the outcast and the shame isn't the right thing. I'm just saying that's the way it is. People make mistakes. I'm not saying what happened, what didn't happen there. I'm just trying to. No one is. I'm trying to say no one is perfect. 
And we forget that. And this whole instance with Michael is a perfect case of that. He says it himself. He has not a gambling problem, but a competition problem. I think he had both. I mean, you shouldn't be gambling. Uh, I don't know, though. It's like... Do you really need to be throwing twenty dollars on one of your, you know, security guys or PR guys or whoever that, the shrug guy it was really funny, whoever that guy was? Is it really necessary to, you know, bet twenty bucks on you getting a quarter closest to the wall? You can't just do that for fun. You're competitive enough. I don't know. I wish I could throw some fast stacks on golf though. That would be fun. I'm not good enough for that though. But moral of that is just not everyone is perfect. And you have to remember that too. I challenge anyone to find a public figure throughout their entire lives that does not have something, some dirt on them. Some dirty laundry, if you will. A lot of famous people and a lot of famous people have done good. But I can find some dirt on all of them. That's not what I'm, that's not my message. I'm just saying we're not all perfect. And that concludes episode seven of Jake's World. Once again, brought to you by absolutely nobody. But um, I want to get this thing going. I want to get it growing. I want people listening. And I want the word to spread. So rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, tell everyone you know, tell everyone you don't know, tell everyone you love, tell everyone you hate. doesn't matter. I want to get this movement going. And I can advertise this myself. I can only do so much, though, until it becomes redundant, regurgitated, annoying, and it loses its effectiveness. I mean, I'll tweet a link to the show. I might start doing something on Instagram with it. I'm not sure. But I don't want to have to throw it in everyone's face. That's annoying. That would make me not want to listen to it. So, tell the people you know. Drop it on them. Hey, give that a try. I'd be really grateful for it. Rate, review, subscribe, of course. Give me a follow. At Jake Sawinski, 8, J-A-K-E-S-A-W-I-N-S-K-I. On all social media outlets. It's the same. I still challenge someone to find someone with all three handles. The same thing. And, yeah, that's a wrap. Be coming at you, recording on Thursday, release it on Friday. Got a good show for you coming up soon, and talk to you next time. That's a wrap. Poise.